Hello and welcome to the Companies and Markets Show. I'm Alex Newman, stepping in this week for John Human, who is busy working on his dissertation. Today I'm joined by news editor Emma Powell. Hello, Emma. Hello. Uh, Media tech and pharma writer Megan Boxall. Hi, Alex. Hello. And Algie Tips Hall, who is in the studio as ever on the ones and twos with Dom Toms. Hello and thank you for having me. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about stocks which should be resilient to the risk of a hard Brexit in this episode. And we'll also be getting an update on our tips of the year. But Megan, I want to first start with you, if I may. So there was a big story this week with the European Commission slapped Google with a 2.4 billion euro fine. Why was that? Mm, so um, Google has, according to the European Commission, been illegally, it's given itself an illegal advantage by using its own search engine to promote its shopping channel, which is pretty much a price comparison website. So when you go on Google and you type in, I don't know, teddy bear, you, the first thing that comes up, the first hit on Google is its own shopping channel. And the shopping channel, the shopping channel like other price comparison websites, work by receiving revenue from the retailers. So they pay every time Google's shopping channel manages to get a sale uh, in the same way that other price comparison websites work. But that becomes an advantage when the search engine being used is owned by the same company and 95% of Europeans use Google as their search engine of choice. So yeah, a a big advantage which the European Commission has, has decided enough is enough. And it is a big story because firstly, it's the biggest fine that the European Commission's ever handed down to a tech company, um, especially a US tech company, where, mm. where there's been talk of it being political tension and whether or not the, this is uh, going to fray ties between the UK and the EU and the US and all of that. But in, on top of that, it the US tech has been so dominant for mm. such a long time. And this is the first real move to to sort of stop that dominance of the Googles, of the Amazons, of Facebook. Or to rein in their yeah. activities. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. And Google actually has two more um, investigators. There are two more investigations that the European Commission's looking into on Google at the moment. One's to do with its Android and one's to do with its advertising platform. Right. Which are both, again, major things that having a search engine and being so dominant in the space, it's a massive advantage for them. So there's another part of this fine as well. If within 90 days, Google doesn't remove its teddy bear Mm -hmm. shop from the top of the search engine, there's going to be a pretty hefty ongoing penalty. Yeah, so from that, 5% of daily revenue and... So that's... uh, that's 5% of its average daily worldwide revenues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, and for Google, which makes so much money, mm. uh, it's, it's a massive fine. Um, and, um, and and yeah, while, while the current fine, I mean, it's, it's a drop in the ocean compared to what Google makes annually, $90 billion last mm. year. Um, it's it's the wider repercussions and not just the financial repercussions. The fact that Google has always, it's spent a long time creating this image as a good boy of tech it's there to help but actually if it is being so using its position in what the european commission has called illegally that that's not great for its image okay and what's the uh the broader read across for uk companies you flagged a couple of 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 companies in the piece which which might be impacted by uh by yeah so um the direct impact is definitely the price comparison websites which um have said that they've been struggling um, due to the fact that especially when people are using mobile phones more it's pretty much the only hit you get on your screen the Google shopping channel the Google ads they they come first Mm. so um, paying Google is only the really the only way in the age of using a mobile phone to get your company at the top of the Google search chain so now that Google's having to maybe rein that in that's going to be 
possibly good news for the price comparison websites because they'll be on a level pegging with um, with Google Shopping. Google's own brand yeah. shops. Yeah. So did did so we're talking about the likes of moneysupermarket.com yeah. or go, go compare. So did they their shares react? Their shares the haven't day? reacted right. at all. Um, and I don't know whether that's because it's too much of a tenuous link. I mean it's not that widely publicised yet that they have been struggling and there's they've been driving revenues up so much in the last few years it's not actually clear that there's been too much of a slowdown okay. it's very easy to relate price comparison websites slow down to other things this is just one factor um so whether or not it's going to be have a long-term benefit for these companies we don't know yet which is maybe why the the response has been quite muted at the moment Okay, and uh, and just continuing with the impact of the FAMGS. Um, that's a horrible acronym, isn't it? The Facebook. <laughs> I heard the, Gaffer the other day, which is better. That's better, yeah, yeah. Gaffer. But you need the M as well in there, don't you? Yeah, Gaffam. So we, anyway, we're talking about Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, and Google's, and their impact on UK PLC. Another story this week: Imagination Technologies has put itself up for sale. So what's the what's the latest? Yeah, here? so Imagination Technologies had a pretty. Terrible year. So the background to this is that throughout its history, it's provided a chip that goes in the iPhone. And all iPhones up until this point have used this imagination technologies chip. But a few months ago, Apple decided that it had been able to create its own chip um, and it wouldn't be relying on imagination technologies anymore. So that's terrible news for imagination technologies, which they've never actually said exactly how much revenue comes from Apple, but it's estimated to be about 50% and even more of its profits. And Analysts have said that without the without sales from Apple, Imagination will move into a net debt position, uh, into a, a net loss position, and it's already got debt, which it's paying hefty interest on. Mm. So, I mean, it's all not looking good. So it's pretty terminal for Imagination yeah. Technologies yeah. if they don't find a buyer. Exactly. So that's why they are now saying... So first of all, they said they were going to put their two less well-known divisions, which aren't... It isn't the... It's the non-chip making part of the division of the company up for sale um, to try and wipe their debt. But I don't know whether or not it's because they haven't had enough interest in those two divisions or if the interest they have had, they've said, well, we only want you as a whole. We don't want just these two less well-known divisions. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they've now made the decision to put themselves up for sale. And the share price responded pretty well. Um, and they're clearly a very good tech company. I mean, the fact that the most popular phone of all time has used their chips for the last 10 years means that they're doing something good. Mm. So it could be that they're a target for a Samsung or, mm. or, or even Google because they do virtual reality stuff as well. Or even Apple, although I don't know if that would be I mean, this illegal. Me as, this, yeah, this struck me as pretty odd that, um, that, um, yeah, that Apple may have caused this crisis for the company and yeah. may yet save it. I mean, who's speculating that they would, would buy the, the company now? I, I don't. Yeah, I've I've heard people saying, and there's been a few sort of market watchers saying. I mean, if Apple were to to make an offer now, they've they've done very well for themselves. Right. And actually, if Apple haven't managed to create their own chips, then they're going to have to buy Imagination. Okay. But I, I actually don't know whether or not there is some sort of law that states that you can't have such an impact on a group's share price like this. And Amazon's got into trouble for doing it before, for for destroying a company, another retailer's share price, and then and then buying it. Right. Um, but this was just crazy. I mean, it lost about two-thirds of its value in one day. Mm. So we'll see if it so recovers, we'll uh, if there is a If there, if is, there a is an acquirer yeah. out there. And there may be a buyer for another company this week, Emma. I just wanted to turn to Hornby in the news section there. They're set for a, a takeover. It may not be a much of a ha- happy ending, though, for the company. 
Well, yeah, Hornby, which for such a small company gets so much coverage, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's because it's, it's had such a rough time of it recently. Um, but this is actually a mandatory offer that they've received. And it's because Phoenix UK, which was previously, it was also a majority shareholder, but they basically took up um, or bought the 20% stake of New Pistoa, um, which actually, funnily enough, was the um, the institution that tried to oust the chairman of Hornby, um, who was also a director, actually, of UK Phoenix. I know some some people were saying... New Pistoa has, has kind of succeeded in, in getting rid of the chairman because Roger Bannum has actually agreed to step down after they acquired this right. extra 20%. So they've now got this 50, 55% of Hornby. So they've been forced to make an offer. And so, yes, yeah, so they've obviously got this mandatory offer now. Um, there's no premium. So it's just uh, it's uh, 32p a share is what it works out at. It was actually what um, the shares were trading at the day prior um, to this bid being made. Um, I mean, we had Hornby on a sale all along. They've had so many profit warnings. Um, they almost breached their banking covenants once, but they were kind of given a bit more room to, to kind of get themselves in order by Barclays. Um, I mean, the upshot is, is that obviously there's one majority shareholder now that owns 55% rather than two. Um, it's, it, I guess it's just how how liquid the the shares become really um because it's going to be you know somewhere between zero and 45 percent that's going right. to be the free float so i mean we've said sell all along what's what's really interesting i think about the whole hornby thing is as, as you said we all know about it we all talk about it and it's because it's a big iconic name but no one's able to um create any extra value from the brand it seems right. and um and, and they're lumbered with lots of manufacturing which is something that bear ball also talks about in this magazine uh, so i mean that, that we've got these two great articles kind of crossing over and it's i mean it's a very interesting um case case study and you know when brand value perhaps isn't what as investors we always interpret it to be which is you know licensed print money essentially so do we expect uh, three years in, in under private equity ownership now and then uh, a rebrand and a relaunch and a, a heavily indebted well, reflotation I mean, yeah you, you think as an investment the story is going to keep on coming around mm. don't you because everyone knows about hornby and scare electric and everyone thinks you should be able to create real value from that brand it's just it hasn't happened right and um, I mean, if, if, it, if it can't happen, if you, if you can't grow a company like this, then um, private ownership's probably a logical, mm. um, you know, way, way to go. But um, I mean, I, I don't know if Phoenix um, is what Phoenix is thinking, but obviously they're going to have a massive stake now. It's actually worth noting, sorry, the Phoenix have said we, we intend or we plan to uh, retain Hornby's AIM listing. So they want to keep it as a private company, hence the kind of question over liquidity, I guess, um, that this isn't one that they're looking to kind of reach 75%, you know, um, and, and, you know, get the acceptances and then take it private. They, they've actually said they would like to retain the AIM listing. Stuff will undoubtedly will give uh, oversized coverage to Hornby uh, in the future <laughs> as well. Uh, let's turn to this week's cover feature, which is by company's editor Ian Smith, and he looked at companies which we think could be insulated from a hard Brexit. So, in it, in the introduction, he writes. Beyond the polarised discussion of hard and soft exit, it is near impossible for private investors to predict what deal, if any, will come out of the negotiating window. Uh, and with that in mind, he's he selected a list of stocks, most of which are IC buy tips already, really, uh, which should do well regardless. And he's, he's broken these down into uh, a couple of categories, but they're primarily dollar earners 
which of course is anyone who follows the FTSE 100's gyrations in response to political news at the moment um, tends to do quite well because they they tend to go up when the whenever the pound falls. So they these have also have little or no UK or EU revenue. Uh, and many of which report in dollars. So one of the companies Ian talks about, uh, Emma, is Standard Chartered. Um, it's not a buy tip, but um, he singled it out for its its long-term growth uh, and, and focus on Asia. You know, it's, it's a dollar and it's not too heavily exposed to UK and EU. I mean, why would this be well insulated as a sort of Brexit hedge stock? Yeah, well, like he said, it, it does it, in a similar way, actually, to HSBC. Um, it's a dollar earner. Its real growth prospects are in Asia. It's the whole kind of rise of the middle class in Asia. Um, provision of um, private provision of pensions, wealth management, all growing areas, obviously, in a, in a rapidly growing population that is kind of increasing its earnings on average. So um, it's got that aspect of it. It's also trading at around 0.8 times. So actually, if you look at, um, so that's 0.8 times. Uh, forecast tangible net assets, um, which is one of the cheapest banks, actually. Um, so what's an average then for the sector? Would we expect to be an average? Sort of just so over one so or... HSBC is about 1.1. 1. 1. Right. Um, RBS is about, it's 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9. Um, you've got Barclays, which is the cheapest at the moment, but there's obviously various reasons for sure. that, given the news flow at about 0. 0.7. Um, Lloyd's is about 1.4, so that's very expensive, but it's towards the lower end. Um, and funnily enough, obviously, it, it's kind of the fact that it is insulated and people see it as a stock that's insulated um, was demonstrated by the fact that when the uh, referendum result was announced last year, HSBC and Standard Chartered kind of carried on going up. And right. obviously, the Lloyds, the Barclays and the RBS, which have very large um, UK retail banking operations, um, just took a nosedive. I mean, obviously, they've recovered slightly, but they're very... Um, they're very exposed right. to, to the whole Brexit and everything that happens around there. Whereas the, the the real growth prospects for Standard Chartered is it's Asia, right? But I mean, this is still a this is still a bank in in something of a recovery mode, isn't it? I mean that that partly explains the the you know the price to to net assets. Oh yeah, I mean it definitely is. Hence why we've got it on a hold and um, it's it's currently not paying out a dividend at the moment um, until kind of the return on equity recovers, um, but. Again, I, I would argue that that's kind of it's it's in the price that kind of risk. Um, it has been making some some good progress though under Bill Winters um, as part of it, its whole recovery plan in terms of um, lowering um, its loan losses. So you know when loans go bad, um, because obviously it was exposed to um, commodities and right. companies in that sector. Um, so yeah, it is. It is doing um, a good job, I would say, overall in terms of its uh, recovery, in terms of um, reducing its risk-rated assets. Um, but you know, it's not. It does have risk in there, hence why we don't have it on a buy. Sure, but the risks, I suppose, are on a parallel track to the the risk to the UK economy. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you <clears throat> could argue with HSBC and Standard Chartered, the risk is very much linked to emerging markets right, okay. and that's just another risk but if you're talking about brexit then that's something different good stuff and megan um another of ian's picks is craneware which i suppose you know uh, compared to to standard charters is quite an expensive uh, stock but it's got a few links to you know any potential fallout in the uk um 
why is that and why what t- tell us about tell us about uh, us about the company and why it's uh, you know completely de-risked from uh, an- anything brexit related yeah so creamware is um it's pretty much a us company to be honest it is um it is actually based in scotland but um and its management's all scottish but all of their operations are in the us they um they run um software which helps make us hospitals and general healthcare provision more efficient and that is a massive topic because I mean, you most people know that if anyone followed the US presidential election would know that US healthcare is not very efficient and it's been a massive political topic over there and everyone knows that something has to be done about taking some costs US healthcare is so expensive and Craneware is um is trying to do that and doing it really really well it's signing up more and more hospitals more and more sort of state run services um and uh, it's bringing in its software which helps make pass patients through the healthcare system quicker that's their aim um and yeah so everything that they're doing is in the u.s Mm. and yeah so for that reason they're they're not really being touched by what's happening in the uk um or the eu at the moment at all Uh, so they are in a really good position like you say they're a little bit more expensive um a lot of that has come from uh sort of post-brexit vote boost which they their share price saw um in the wake of the referendum but um still there's a lot of value to be found there because there's such growth potential Mm. and also i mean they're a massive takeover target for any hospital healthcare provider in the US of right. which there are so many companies because they what they do they do so well so yeah a great a great company which um is definitely one for the the brexit proof portfolio right and a- another healthcare pick that Ian's um it made here is NMC healthcare so that's another potentially high growth stock it's in it's focused on the, the middle east slightly slightly cheaper than craneware i mean for co- uh, investors who might be a bit unfamiliar with NMC healthcare yeah, I mean, can you give us a sense of what it's, it's what it's a, all it's about. It's an interesting company, NMC. It's um, it's a hospital provider, but it's based in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, it literally just is a private hospital. It builds hospitals, runs hospitals, and they're amazing. These hospitals, the pictures of them, they're like five star hotels. Um, and they're just growing really, really quickly because um, there is this massively, hugely growing healthcare market in the Middle East because it's one of the things that Middle Eastern politics wants to get right because right. it is it's a sign of wealth a good healthcare service and um abu dhabi and dubai they're all trying to boost their their um their healthcare services and nmc's place itself really well for that it's just buys land it builds hospital it fills it with beds and these are growing these are growing populations as well so you've got the, yeah, exactly. you've got a growing market for for yeah, the and aging populations, um, and yeah. So again, they're they're just not based in the UK at all. They're, they're, they're listing here. It, it, it's a sensible listing because there is a market here. There are a few um, Middle Eastern hospital hospital providers which are based, which have London listings. But apart from that, there's very little ties. I mean, it's it's there. It's run by people who live in that country they're based in in abu dhabi they um yeah so again and just yeah again nothing to do with brexit no and i mean you could say that about when ian and i were talking about this there are so many healthcare and pharmaceutical companies about al nor isn't that another one in the yeah a bit more risky though well it's not actually doesn't even exist anymore it's now owned by um mediclinic yeah it was bought by mediclinic but yeah that is another one but they have um they actually most of their revenue comes from Switzerland, so there's still a little bit of European tie mm. there, yeah. not existent in NMC. And also, so Ian's pointed out AstraZeneca and Shire in um, in his article as well, because uh, most of that revenue comes from dollars. Pharmaceuticals, the US is the, the big market for that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in the in the companies Ian picks out in the piece, I mean, Pharma pretty well represented here. So we've got Hikma as well and and GSK. Uh, and he's looked at the actually the, the whole of the FTSE 350 and broken it down by non-UK or EU revenue split, which is, uh, I think, quite interesting way to um, approach this subject. So that's, that's all in the feature in this week's mag. Another feature we've got, penned by uh, our tips editor who's in the studio with us at today's algae halls look at the tips of the year yes yeah i, I come I may, maybe it's worth mentioning my my feature comes after another one allied to um ian's which is where next for the pound which right. is obviously obviously key to um the stocks he's presenting but and um, the stocks we picked for tips of the year well, slightly, but I, I mean it's interesting you should say that because it was at the at the end when I um, after we'd picked them all, um, I, I put in my initial write up that I felt we probably were uh, had overdone it um, unwittingly on dollar exposure. Right. So that's a big worry for me personally. I, I don't know where you know what what, what are going to happen with currencies, but I think um, given what's happened with the pound, and and also you know yesterday we had um, Mark Carney making. Um, you know, somewhat hawkish comments, and the pound jumped by, um, you know, uh, by a percent against the dollar, which is a you know a big move. So obviously, you know, where we are, there's a great deal of uncertainty with currency, and um, you, you know, and it could go either way, as um, the other feature in the magazine um, explains. Right. Um, but anyway, yeah. So dollar exposure was a bit of a um, bit of a way, but the dollar hasn't really done much against sterling so far this year. It's um, I mean, it, 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 um, it's, it's fallen a bit against sterling overall. Um, but um, probably the oil price has been the biggest influence. Mm. Um, and, uh, I mean, when, it, when we picked the tips, there were, um, because we hadn't gone for resources stocks last year, which um, you, you, you could say, you, you know, the reasons we hadn't gone uh, for resources stocks were clear when they tanked at the beginning of the year, but they recovered sharply afterwards. Um, we we kind of thought we should have some resources exposure in here, and and we we went for some stocks which just should benefit from the stability right. in a slightly higher price, and they 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 really have the story, you know, or, or one of them in particular, RPS, that that story's playing out for it. But we've also got Cairn Energy, which Alex yeah. was your tip. Yeah, um, I hold which my hands is, up here. It's the la- <laughs> the laggard of the group. It's but also the old price probably isn't that different now than it was at the beginning of the year, but the. The um the the issue was that people pricing the momentum sure. in in these things, and there's obviously quite a lot of um hope that the momentum would continue with what was going on with OPEC, etc. That hasn't transpired. Um, but you know, Can hasn't actually really done anything wrong, has it? No, it's well, I mean, it's uh, it's got a number of factors at play. Can I mean, it's, they've got uh, arbitration proceedings in India, got tax disputes, their drillings going fairly well i mean they've got this offshore senegal program mm-hmm. that's that's Had good that's been going that. pretty well i mean they've got a lot of cash on their their balance sheet that was one of the reasons we opted for them as opposed to other mid-tier oilers in, in the sector which might have some debt issues um so I mean, yeah i mean nothing's changed too much but certainly the sentiment which you know is obviously a key driver of of share prices has gone quite bearish since the beginning of the year which probably explains why they're, oh, I, they're, yeah. they're, they're slightly underwater and um also, I mean, one one of the things when when you pitch this idea to um, to me and the rest of the team, one of the things I really liked about it is that there's always um, something really good about companies which are investing in during the bottom of the cycle yeah. because that's when you can create real value by um, 
uh, you know, in, in their case, renting out rigs and drills on the cheap and just um, keep you on going. And then, when, you know, when the market does pick up, you've, you've got more product to sell. Yeah. So they're, they're doing that. I mean, there's, I think, fun, fundamentally, and I found this with this review, and the, the tips of the year haven't, they, they've, they've done poorly so far this year. They're, um, they're, they've delivered a total return on aggregate of 2.8%. So they're up um, as they're up as a group. We can still we well, can still claim that headline, but it's below the FTSE All Share. Below the FTSE All Share, which is up um, six point four percent, and then also um, what I've done as well is just looked at an unweighted um, view of the index. So all the constituents um, unweighted to market cap, and that's up nine point five percent, or seven point five percent is the median average. Can you explain what that means? And what the median average? No, in terms or, of weighting them by. by oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so obviously the index is weighted. So what you see when you look at an index is predominantly how the largest companies, how that the shares in the largest companies have performed, which um, w- which is fair enough if you're thinking about the way um institutions invest or what you may be able to buy in an ETF. But um, most private investors don't uh, pay any attention to weightings yeah. when when they make it, when they construct a portfolio. And our tips of the year don't either. Um, but anyway, anyway, yeah. No, I mean, Ken Ken was a big loser, as we've touched on, which is uh, down twenty eight percent. Ouch. But it's but it's doing nothing wrong. So it's, it's really a lot of it's coming down to oil and possibly a bit of disappointment with the slowness slow, slowness of that Indian arbitra- arbitration. Correct me if you think differently. Alex, well, I mean, but, um, arbitration tends to take a while, doesn't it? It but, does, um, yeah. Beginning of next year, we should we should know, apparently. I, th- I think um, I think we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much. I mean, obviously, we're focused on one of the laggards there, but I mean, you 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 point to a couple which are near the top of the pile. So Merck, Merck we've had some quite good news. Yeah, so R- RPS recently. is the best performer, up twenty three percent. And and then well, Merck, I've, I've when, in my write up, I've said there's some companies that we've tipped. Why I feel um, they haven't been rewarded for the good news. And although Merck is up um, 8.4% in this table, um, at the time I was writing it, there was a lot of negative sentiment because of all the debate over drug pricing mm-hmm. in the US. But we've had a lot of change in that just over the last few days. And that's put a f- another few percentages on Merck. But I mean, Meg- Megan can maybe... Um, Tell us about what's going on with that one. Yeah, Megan, I mean, doesn't doesn't matter so much if uh, if the drug trial results are as good as they have been. Yeah, well, yeah, like Algie says, they have had some very good um, good trial results, and they are they're leading the way in terms of global cancer care novel drugs. They they have uh, sort of when when we tipped them, there was a, there was a two way battle going on between Merck and Bristol Myers Squibb, and six months on, Merck is far and away in the lead. Bristol Myers Squibb's had some poor results in that time and Merck's just been like it's almost every few weeks they come out with another and it's often on the same drug as well it's a drug called Keytruda um, which Algie talks about um, in the article and it is that every time they put it out for um, for a trial it it succeeds and it was actually the first it became the first cancer drug ever to be approved for just cancer or rather than like lung cancer right. or um so often normally drugs would be approved per body part body, body part but not keytruda keytruda's just claimed it all which it, it is really good but um like algie says it kind of has been overshadowed by the the ongoing debate about u.s drugs pricing because keytruda is really expensive it, it, it because, because it is this incredibly novel um immuno-oncology drug and um and because of that and the ongoing debate about whether U.S. drugs are too expensive, it means that maybe it hasn't received the the praise it should have done um, because 
not many people can afford it. Um, Didn't it have some pretty good news today? Yeah, so again, it had. this was not in, um, in cancer care. This was a... Um, uh, sort of a novel statin it's not a statin but it's a cholesterol cholesterol busting drug um it's called a c-met inhibitor and um what merck has managed to do which no other pharmaceutical company has managed to do is get one of these through a clinical trial with positive results so it's been a really long trial it's been about three years um but over that time this drug lowered the chance of patients um with high cholesterol having a coronary event such as a heart attack um, or a stroke so um, other companies have tried and failed um, to get a type of this drug through clinical trials. Merck's done it, but what was weird about it was they weren't overly, or management weren't overly enthusiastic. And really, if the trial was as good as the headline numbers say say they were, say it was, I mean, it, it should it should be incredible for Merck because right. statins make so much money. They're the best-selling drugs of all time because so many people in the world have high cholesterol. Um, so the fact that Merck's management weren't overly enthusiastic does mean that maybe they're not sure the FDA even on these good trial results is going to give the drug the green light but that isn't something that we've sort of that failure had kind of already been priced into Merck because no one expected it to um to do well it's good to under promise as well i suppose well yeah and also i I think i think we should say about merck as well when 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 we tipped it megan's idea was partly based around my goodness you can get an amazing US pharma company mm. here really cheaply because of this fear about drug pricing. Mm. So um, what, what we said about um, drug pricing, I mean, it, it, you know, we anticipated that it would carry on as an issue, but now it does seem to be um, coming off, which is... which is yeah. could And it was at the time, wasn't it? That was It was a little bit more expensive than other US pharma companies, but the the, the sector in general was just so low at the time. Mm. Um, and yeah. A good time to get a US mm. um, pharma jant. Another, uh, I was say another another um, feature of the uh, tips of the year. I mean, they're all f- fairly decent yielders. Uh, you picked out this uh, this year, Algie. I mean, and, and one at the top of the pile there nearly is uh, Aviva, which seems to have a bit of a virtuous virtuous cycle at the moment. So, I mean, that's yeah. been, that's been doing well, hasn't it, Emma? Yeah, um, it's up so far on the tip of the year. It's our income tip of the year. Um, in some ways, it's kind of following similar trends to other um, life assurers, but it's a lot more immature in, right. in its kind of um, movement or shift towards those those trends. It's on about um, 10 times the next 12 months um, forecast earnings, um, but it's, um, it's kind of growing its asset management business obviously following its merger with friends life um, that gave it a lot more assets under management but also um, it's growing its uh, multi-asset product which is called aims it's kind of a challenger to gars um but also they're doing things in terms of trying to diversify more and expand into china and asia uh, given the market's very immature there um so yeah it's it's kind of again those are trends across the industry but aviva is you know things like standard life which has obviously gone through a quite a transformational merger in itself um but they were very you know, mature in terms of moving towards asset management. Aviva's now really making the effort to do that. Um, really, only in the, in the past twelve months, um, which I think is why, obviously, it, w- it was more cheaply rated. But now we're starting to see the kind of the positive results from this kind of diversification throughout the whole business. Um, 
you know, in its in its last reported results, even. So that's I think why the the shares are re-rating so much and are kind of um, we've seen really good returns actually. And like you said, actually, um, it is a good it is a good yield. You know, you get a yield of north north of four percent. So mm, good stuff. Algy thoughts on Aviva. Yeah, no, Aviva's doing what it should, what Emma um, right. thought it would do. So that's very satisfying. Um, I think Greencore actually probably is the if I was going to pick out a, a tip which is which has been making good progress and hasn't been rewarded for it, it's that one because that was tipped on the back by Bradley Gerrard who isn't actually with us anymore he's not dead he's dead to us he's left the IC but it bought this American company called Peacock and it's been doing very well with that acquisition but um, it, it's biggest customer in the US and one of its weaknesses is is it does have very large customers and its biggest US customer a meat um, processing company called Tyson bought this rival and the market sold off the green core shares massively and I, I, I personally I kind of think the sentiment's still off quite a lot of, on, on, on green core but in actual fact um, the length of contracts um, between Tyson and Peacock mean that it won't be a problem for quite a long time if there's going to be one but also they, they co- they've co-invested in manufacturing, which suggests that actually the relationship's far closer than the market's perceived it to be. And there's also been talk about deepening the relationship. So this acquisition that um, Tyson has, has made could actually mean um, Green Corps subsidiary in the US, Peacock, starts winning more work from Tyson rather than losing work. And um, the, the other thing about the Tyson acquisition is that... Um, the multiple that it's been done on, which is a kind of um, 15 times enterprise value to cash profit multiple, which is um, just a valuation term. But any, anyway, that suggests the entire Green Corps business is um, really significantly undervalued. Right. Um, or it, it definitely would be in the, if, if someone was to come along and, um, and bid for it. So, right. I mean, I, I just think um, it's, it's one of those cases where everything's going well at the moment. A lot of dollar exposure, actually, with this one. Everything's going well at the moment, but um, the market's kind of um, seen a risk which may actually um, transpire not to be there at all, and it could be quite the opposite. It could be um, what's actually happened could actually be a very good thing for Green Corps. Interesting. So and 6% up so far, or 5.9% up. You think it's got a lot more a lot more to run this year then? Yeah, I, 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 think, I think it's um, that... There's a lot going for it. I think mm. growth is going to come through, and um, I, I think people may start looking at the rating. Um, you know, as, as long as the market holds up, people start looking at that rating and thinking, "Hang on, that it's actually um, really quite good value." Excellent. Uh, okay, thanks, that Algie and Megan, Emma. Thanks, UT. This week's magazine is called Brexit Proof Shares. There's loads of content in there. We've got a, a look at Japan that feature that algae uh, mentioned as well where next for the pound all the usual personal finance and company results write-ups brexit proof shares it's in shops from friday four pound 90 and we'll speak to you next week thank you